Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week's a big one. I don't know about you guys, but I think of our generation, Steve Stevens has to be one of the most identifiable guitarists ever, right? Certainly of the 80s and beyond. I mean, that partnership of him with Billy Idol, it's one of the best, most enduring partnerships ever. There's Morrissey and Marr, there's Page and Plant, there's Brian Adams and Keith Scott. There's Adamant and Marco Peroni. I mean, these are the these are the nucleuses of these foundational duos and songs and music that built who we are. That's what I think anyway. And Steve Stevens is one of the most just ingenious, unique, but also, like I said, identifiable guitarists ever. So Steve Stevens is our guest. And we talk all about it. We talk about how he found his style, how he and Billy worked together, his solo stuff. He's really, I had, I heard from a few of you that were asking about whether we touch on his flamenco guitar career. That comes up at the very end. So yeah, we try to touch on a little bit of everything here. The albums, the songs he likes, the things he doesn't like, whatever it might be. I've been trying to get Steve on here for years. I'm a huge, huge Steve fan. I will say it's unfortunate. 12 minutes before we hopped on this uh, interview, it was I saw the announcement that Eddie Van Halen had died. And of course, Eddie Van, you're going to talk about Eddie Van Halen with one of the great, other greatest guitarists ever. And so the first 15 minutes or so is us talking about Eddie. And I got to and I got to say I feel like it almost sort of lent a, a slightly macabre or depressing I don't know, like cloud over everything. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it, we eventually got over it, of course, and talked about his career, but there was just this sadness in the air. Of course, that day, there still is, but right then, it was literally minutes before we hopped on the on the phone to talk. So anyway, take that for what it's worth. I love Steve. I love Billy Idol's music. I've seen these guys in concert a few times. So, so good. I actually cannot remember where Steve was, if he lives in LA or New York. I think it might be LA, but I honestly can't remember. All right, here's Steve. Okay. Well, as I was saying, Steve, um, not to take the focus away from you, because I've been dying to talk to you for years. We just found out a few minutes ago that Eddie Van Halen passed away. I would have to think YouTube's paths had crossed over the years. Two of the most innovative and influential guitarists ever. What are your memories and experiences with Eddie? Wow. I mean, there's so many. I met him, we, we played at the, the first time I met him, uh, he invited me to join him at the NAMM show. And uh, we performed together with uh, Tim Bogart, the bass player. I don't, I'm not sure exactly how I got the invite or why, but I was knocked out that I did. And I remember thinking, you know, I was living in New York at the time and I, I, I came out, I flew out to LA to do the NAMM show that year. And um, so uh, I hire a limo and I get a couple of bottles of champagne to bring over to Ed's house where we were going to, you know, uh, rehearse. Yeah. And um, little did I know that, um, you know, uh, Valerie was, was, was trying to curtail some, some of those kind of activities. Yeah. 
So uh, I ring the doorbell, she answers, and I've got two bottles of champagne. And she goes, oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> That's great. So I walk in, and he goes, oh, great. <laughs> uh, what, I, what I really remember, I mean, obviously, you know, the two of us jamming and uh, talking shop, you know, because um, – Course. You know, he was another one of those. There's one thing to be as brilliant a guitar player as Ed was, but there's another thing to understand the mechanics of the instrument the way that he did and, and tinker and innovate, come up with ideas to push the instrument forward. And I, in my own way, was, was doing some of that uh, with effects pedals and although neither of us could probably read a schematic, but we, we were real tinkerers. Yeah. So we, we loved that, that aspect of it. And we were talking about a lot of ideas that, that yeah. uh, we had both come to uh, realize about amplifiers and things, um, myself on the East Coast and him on the West Coast. Yeah. But about 10 minutes before we, we were ready to go and play the NAMM show, Ed... Uh, uh, we were behind the curtain, and um, Ed got real emotional. And I didn't understand, but his uh, his dad had passed away not soon before. And this was, uh, I guess, this was the first performance that he was going to play in front of an audience since his dad passed away. Wow. And he got really choked up about it. And, you know, I didn't know him that well. All I could do was, you know, say the usual stuff that people would yeah. say. Your dad, you know... Uh, you know, your dad got to see you and your brother become yeah. the hugest rock band in the world. And he told me the story about how they bought his dad a boat uh, on retirement. And, mm. um, and I said, you know, you, you know, thankfully, your dad got to see yeah, all of that great stuff that's happened for you. And, yeah. and the performance was great. And, and uh, we stayed in touch. And then, um, you know, we... Um, when uh, when I toured with Vince Neil, we supported Van Halen, and yep. we we would trouble on the road together. Right, <laughs> <laughs> <That's surprising. laughs> you, you know. And then uh, then his good buddy Steve Lukather came out on the road, so it was like the Three Stooges, you know, really <laughs> trouble. <laughs> but um, uh, he he was he was probably the most generous musician I ever met. I had taken on that tour. I had taken out all my old vintage amps and. Some yeah. some older guitars and and uh, one sound check. You know my those vintage amps are real finicky, and my amp went down. And da, 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 da. and Ed walked over. He said, "Hey, why don't you play through my guitar rig tomorrow at sound check?" I said, "Oh, okay." You know. So next day, I pick up one of his guitars. Uh, I plug in, and Alex is behind the kit, and he looks at me like. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> so I said, "Wow, you know, this is this is this is when he had first put out his fifty-one fifty amp with PV, and um, I really liked it. I thought, wow, this is this is great. You know, let, uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally into it. Literally two days later, a truck shows up with three full stacks. No way. And he also handed me." I said, you know, I love your guitar, but I'd love to get one. Maybe I can get one. I had already, I had already picked one up. I said, I'd, I'd love to get one in black. Maybe they can order me one. He walks over to his guitar rack, picks up the black one, and says, here's, here's your guitar. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's so generous. And, you know, yeah. He doesn't have and, to do that. No, and um, 
You know, uh, I heard the same story, the same exact thing with um, Jerry Cantrell. Allison Chain supported uh, uh, Van Halen. Yeah. And he did the same thing, S- sent over a bunch of gear for him. Wow. And, uh, oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, he was, he was um, generous and supportive and never – I never heard him say a bad word about any guitar player. You know, one night we were, were hanging out with – uh, Luke Ather in the hotel and getting pretty drunk and you know okay we'll get let's shit talk some of these other guitar players all of all of whom were trying to play like Ed you know mm-hmm. he wouldn't say a bad word oh, wow. uh, about anybody you know to him he was o- always almost blissfully unaware yeah. at how amazing he was yeah. you know yeah. and I will say that I've never seen anybody have the guitar in their hands as much as him. From the time that he got to the gig, now we're talking four hours before showtime, sound check, the guy had the guitar on his, on his body. I believe it. In catering, in, and in everywhere, the guitar just never left his hands. Yeah. And uh, that's, how you, that's how you get, you know, it becomes an extension of, you, of exactly. the person. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, I just uh, remember the, 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 how fortunate I was to spend some time with him and, and make some music with him. Yeah. Your style has always been so, I mean, flashy is a word that gets thrown around. It's not, I see that as a compliment. That's not a knock in any way. You're just able, you're so dexterous. You can do so many things. Can you think of, of any, was there, is there any particular move or a uh, little trick that you have or you've added to your arsenal that came directly from Eddie, or was it all just your own imagination? I guess, you know, I, I touched on a little bit. I mean, everybody's done the tapping yeah. thing and he was the first, I mean, I remember like it was yesterday, the first time I heard that first Van Halen record and mm-hmm. had to put the, it was at a friend's party, bunch of people getting crazy. I mean, this was a wild party. And uh, he puts on the record and it got to eruption. And I went, what the hell is that? I went over to the turntable, pulled the, the needle back, put it on. Is that a guitar? You know? Yeah. Wow. So everybody kind of touched on the tapping thing yeah. a little bit. I didn't make it part of my arsenal like a lot of players. But in, uh, in the Top Gun anthem uh, in my solo, there's a little bit of tapping because we wanted some guitar pyrotechnics. And I think more than anything, you know, I just appreciate it. I mean, I, uh, to me, his rhythm guitar playing was what was incredible. Uh, you know, as a soloist, absolutely. But, um, yeah. you know, I don't think there'll ever be a, a rhythm guitar track like Mean Streets. Oh, you're probably right. And yeah, people, can go on, people can go on YouTube, YouTube and hear the isolated guitar yeah. on that. It's astounding. Yeah, it's it's really astounding, and it and it set the precedent for so much of what uh, you know is 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 down tuned guitar, and um, it's set the precedent for a lot of what mm-hmm. rock is now. Yeah, um, even if people don't play solo, if if people don't solo like Ed, that yeah. kind of rhythm aggression and sonic, the way his guitar took up space in this in a song is something that guitar players are still striving for. Yeah. That's the thing, too. I, I think most guitar players probably understand that they'll never be the same or as good, but it sets, a, it sets something to work toward, to achieve, you know? 
he's doing so many things that are new with this instrument. I aspire to find new angles of my own, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and, and you, you can't, you can't take away the fact that the chemistry and tele telepathic way that him and Alex played together. Yeah. You know, that's one thing you can, you can be in a band and you can have a, a great drummer, but you're never going to have that relationship that, True. you know, those two guys grew up, you know, listening to all those cream records. And I recently, somebody unearthed a, uh, a, 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 a cover of the uh, Van Halen when they is, I think it was like 74 and they're playing, they're playing in a backyard party and they're playing a captain beyond song. And if anyone's it's captain beyond is such an obscure prog rock band uh, that I, I, I became aware of probably only uh, about three years ago. Mm. And I'm like, these guys were playing this, this music in 74. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, you know, that's, that's because the two brothers are probably like, hey, man, yes. check this record out, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, good. Well, yeah, it's, um, that's a huge loss, which I, I think, like I said, we just found out a few minutes ago. I think we're going to be processing this one for a while. Um, now let's let's switch over to you and your own bag of tricks. You are one of the the those influential guitarists as well. And you know, I was listening back to the Atomic Playboys album, and there's a moment in Soul on Ice when you do your laser sound. I don't know how uh -huh. else to, what else to describe it as. I mean, it pops up in a lot of Billy songs too. Is that where did you know where did that's a that's a Steve Stevens patented thing? No one does little tricks like that better or like Steve Stevens. Where does stuff like that come from for you? Well, I, I mean, the original inspiration for the for a guitar not sounding like a guitar quite <laughs> um, when we when we when we recorded Rebel Yell. Um, I brought in a copy of um, the Billy Cobham record that Tommy mm. Boland plays on. Mm -hmm. And there's a song called Quadrant Four mm. and a guitar, you know, he, Tommy's playing the solo and then it kind of takes off into this oscillation and it kind of takes your head off. You go, what the hell? Wow. And he did it with an echoplex. That was one of his tricks. And I said to our producer, Keith Forsey at the time, I said, the solo has to have something more than just guitar notes. You know, it's got to have a sonic thing. Mm. And I didn't want to copy what Tommy Boland had done. Mm -hmm. 
And as luck would have it, you know, the backing track for Rebel Yell was done. I was living in the basement of my parents' house. And I've got the guitar in my hands. It's plugged into my tiny little PV amp. And I used to collect these toy ray guns. And I'm playing with it, probably, you know, just tinkering around. And I hear it come through the guitar just by accident. And I bring it closer to the pickups. And then it's like really loud. So I opened it up. I said, wouldn't it be great to... You know, here again is the tinkering part. You know, wouldn't it be great to have this, this sound, but I need to vary its, its, its rate. So I got out my soldering gun and looked at, the, looked at the little circuit board and realized that a resistor, if I vary a resistor with a potentiometer, it's going to vary the, the sound. <laughs> sure, sure enough, uh, that's what it did. I mounted it in there. And then when we recorded the solo, there's some other, there's a, a modulation effect on the recording as well, but I did use the, the toy ray gun and, um, and it's now, uh, you know, I, I, I uncovered some vintage ones, which I put on sale for people. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause there's, there's a very specific type that you need to, to get. And they were only made in the seventies and, and they literally, we sold about 25 of them in one evening. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, it's Thanks. just, you know, just looking up uh, um, a lot of my heroes when I was, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't just a fan of guitar playing, but when the Minimoog became available, I was, I was a huge fan. I loved Keith Emerson. And so I loved the kind of synth, the advent of synthesizers and stuff. So I was always trying to emulate some of the, the Moog sounds on my guitar as well. And mm. the middle of Rebel Yell, people think is a, is a keyboard with this melody, but it's actually guitar. And, um, and I was emulating Keith's, solo in uh, lucky man <laughs> no way yeah so i <laughs> no you know i think in terms of 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 other instruments uh, not just guitar you know yeah sure how do you and billy write songs together going back to the beginning is he the lyric guy and you're the music guy do you do it in the same room do you jam how do you come up with this stuff no he's certainly not just a lyric guy i mean uh, you know uh it's it, it's really basic you know, it's two guys sitting down with an acoustic guitar in most cases and we'll play something or I will say that the best ones, the best songs always come with a lyrical idea and a theme, you know, mm -hmm. because that's my roadmap. Then I go, oh, now I know what we're trying to, mm -hmm. what, what emotion and what, what, uh, what the story is. Mm -hmm. And that's usually been the way it's, it's, but there is no patented way to do it. Uh, Eyes Without a Face came about when I was living in my parents' basement. The only radio station I could get was the oldie station. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I was listening to things like Frankie Valley and Big Bopper and all these 50s things. And I kind of came, you know, I, I, I tinkered around with uh, some of the chord changes. I brought them into rehearsal and you know, I'm just playing them. And Billy goes, oh, what's that? And I go, I don't know. It's just these chords, these kind of 1950s chords, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, he pulls out of his backpack a legal pad and he had written these, these lyrics, the eyes without a face. And he said, ah, I think this will fit. So sometimes it's just a matter of, of you know, uh, circumstance. Yeah. Other, other times we'll sit down with the intention of writing, uh, okay, we're gonna, we, we start with nothing, and then we'll talk about, uh, uh, what have you been listening to later, lately? Oh, man, I just, you know, like, uh, 
like this. And, you know, he has, he has a great love of reggae. And mm. so sometimes, sometimes our, our inspiration for songs comes from way, way outside of mm-hmm. rock, rock and roll, soul, and yeah. some other things. So, but there really okay. is, there is no, no, I wish there was a blueprint for it, but there isn't. <laughs> right. So, okay. So I want to ask you specifically about a few songs. Like um, you mentioned Eyes Without a Face. There's that killer killer solo in the middle of that song. And I wondered if that, like, when you're, when you and Billy are sitting there strumming that acoustic guitar and you're calling, you're hearkening back to the big bopper to write this thing, do you think to your, who says to who, you know what would be cool in the middle of this is a really scorching solo? Or is that a Keith Forsey thing that happens in the studio afterwards? Where does that idea, where did that solo in particular even come from? Well, we, we were we were on uncharted territory because we had never Billy had never done a ballad before, so there was a little bit of apprehension, nerve, nervousness. I said, you know, when when we cut the backing track, one of the things we always did was we had thirty two bars in the middle where we didn't quite know what was going to happen, but mm. Billy was always doing dance remixes, so we needed extra music to give to the dance remix guys so that they could add. Uh, you know, extended versions. So we had 32 bars in the middle. We didn't quite know what we were going to do. And we're listening to the, to the song. And, and I go, well, it can't just be a ballad. It needs to rock somewhere. Some, so um, I, I came up with the, you know, the rhythm guitar part first, the kind of, you know, in that middle. Um, and once I played that, I, I remember I was in, this is the days before uh, when you track guitar now, you, you, you're, in, you're in the control room. Back then, nobody thought to put the amplifier heads in the control room. So I'm out in the I'm out in the studio, and uh, and I'm playing. I start playing the riff, you know, and then I look in the control room, and they're all jumping up and down. And I go, Oh, I think I got something, you know. Mm-hmm. So we just built upon that. And then we put the guitar solo on it, and then uh, you know the I I kind of said, Well, can't once again. We didn't just want the normal guitar solo. Let's put backwards reverb on it. Okay, we flipped the tape over, and you know, because I loved all those kind of Hendrixy effects of backwards reverb, and and it just be it, you know, it just I will it, it just fit. And I will say that the majority of the ideas that we tried on on the Rebel Yell album fit, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm surprised by this. So the first album, self-titled, wasn't successful enough to move you out of your parents' basement. 
No, uh, no. Really? I, I, I was on salary from Chrysalis for $250 a week. <laughs> and, um, and Billy was living in a, in a, in a uh, studio apartment uh, on Green Street in the West Village. You know, first of all, we hadn't recouped. And that album, the first record, which went gold, didn't go gold until after Rebel Yell, then uh. when people bought the back catalog. So okay. that first tour was in a van and, you know, we played, <laughs> we played tiny little clubs, really little, little, Wild. little places. So Wild. yeah, it wasn't until Rebel Yell that, okay. that we finally, yeah. My favorite song on the first album is uh, Come On, Come On. Okay. And and you co-wrote that. I'm curious what if you have a story about the creation of that one. Well, we, we were the the drummer Steve Missile had a music uh, rehearsal room on um, it was Eighth Avenue. It was right across across from the Port Authority in New York in Manhattan, and it was a lot of musicians living in that building. I had there were two music buildings in New York. I previously lived in another one, mm-hmm. but um, uh, I remember we would share. When we, so we were coming up with these ideas and just putting them on cassette tape to kind of compile them. And um, I remember we used, to, we used to share a taxi downtown with Madonna, who was also uh, working in that building. Wow. And there was, so the environment, I mean, if you went out into a hallway, it was a cacophony of mm-hmm. you know, eight, eight, 80 bands or musicians yeah. playing. But it was just the, the environment. We were there to work. We had, a, you know, I think Billy was excited. Uh, that he had a new band. One of the things people don't realize is during the rehearsal, during the rehearsal and writing sessions for that first record, Billy had a, f- a friend of his who uh, was in a band called Kamer Rouge, and they were booked to play the very last show at Max's Kansas City. No way. And uh, Billy said, why don't we get up and play? So our very first gig, we played a couple of Gen X songs and maybe one of the original, maybe something like Come On, Come On or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got up unannounced and played Max's Kansas City. We, we are the last act to ever play no Max's. Way. Yeah. No way. <laughs> yeah. And so this is before cell phones. So we get right. up there and people are going, that's fucking Billy Idol. Holy <laughs> shit. So there was one telephone booth 
and people are lining up to call their friends to say, you got to get down here. And I could see the line forming while we're up there. And I was thinking, we're only going to play three songs. <laughs> they better get down here quick. <laughs> uh -huh. That's wild. Yeah. No way. Yeah, I love Come On, Come On because it's almost like it's got the bridge to the chorus is as catchy as the chorus. And, and so it's almost like the bridge and the chorus become the, the entire hook of the song, you know? Sure. That kind of darker yeah. part that leads up to before you get to the come on, come on part. Yeah. I just think that's such an interesting, innovative way to write a song. Now, I got to ask you another one. I have, kind of a, I have kind of a weird obsession with the Whiplash Smile album. Okay. Because I, maybe because I know Rebel Yell so well that Whiplash Smile feels like something I'm still kind of getting to know, even though I've also heard that millions of times. For sure. World's Forgotten Boy is another one of my favorites of yours. How do you feel about the Whiplash Smile album? Because Rebel Yell was so huge, mm -hmm. you guys took like three years to get this thing going, and I have opinions about it that I'll save till after you tell me yours, but where do, how do you feel about it? Was it, did it measure up? Were you struggling to find something as good? Tell me about it. Well, there was a couple of things about it that, that, I, that I had problem getting my head around. One was the fact that we weren't using our live band, which had just become like a well-oiled machine after touring behind Rebel Yell. Tommy Price and, and, um, and Steve Webster were an incredible rhythm section. And we go in to, to do the follow-up record, and the decision is made to use drum machines and sequencers. And those, sonically, because there's no ambience, are very hard to have heavy guitars stick with. They just don't marry to the to the kit and the bass the way that that they do in a rock band. So the the, the songs that don't rely upon live instruments, I really like things like, you know, I think Sweet Sixteen is is a great song. Do anything for Sweet Sixteen. 
I think that the, that the and the other thing you have to realize is when we did Rebel Yell, the record company had no expectations. We weren't generating money for them yet, and we were on a small label. Then Rebel Yell hits, and with the cash cow at the at the label, so the eyes are on us now, and there was a lot of pressure to do a follow up record. And, uh, and yeah. I think, and also we we had developed some bad habits that uh, we took into the studio, so which we didn't really have during Rebel Yell. And we, yeah. we were a bit more um, disciplined. <laughs> yeah. But with Last Smile, I think is, um, you know, I, I can listen to it and enjoy it for what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, were just, we were just experimenting and trying to find something different, you know. Yeah. And I think maybe we went overboard with trying to be so different, whereas maybe some of the rockers could have benefited from having real instruments on them, but we could have kept the experimental stuff to some of the other tunes. Yeah. Yeah. I wondered that too. That's the thing. There's something very almost robotic about the album. It feels like you and Billy are the only live people on there. We are. (laughs) (laughs) And you can kind of tell. And, uh, you know, I, it's interesting. Uh, uh, recently I was talking with Bob Rock, and we were deep diving the Colts Sonic Temple album. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was making this comparison to him because to me, I put, I put you and Billy in a similar category as the Colts. You're in uh-huh. this, this area that's straddling between alternative rock and hard rock. Probably right. wish to be taken seriously, maybe even a little bit more in the hard rock area. And vocally, I feel like Ian and, and Billy have a lot of the same kind of ticks. I mean, there's always... You know, every rock cliche is a lot of babies and yas and stuff yeah. like that. But those guys can grunt that kind of stuff out in a way where it's you get they get a lot of mileage out of the the out of the smallest like oh yeah or so you know what I mean just yeah. something like that or oh yeah. you know just some little noise tick that Billy makes it says so much compared right. to somebody who might say oh baby baby or whatever. And so I feel like he there's more vocal ticks going on in this album and less actual musicianship going on in this album. And yet I really like this album. And I was okay, curious yeah. too. I, I wanted to ask you to be a lover. I mean, what was the thinking behind doing a cover of that? Got to be a lover. 
were you guys scrambling to find your own material and uh, thought, let's cover something? Or what, what was the thinking there? Well, the, the funny thing is, Billy, that was Billy's idea. But he, he had a reggae version of it. Uh. <laughs> right? So he brings in a recording of it, and it was kind of like really slow. And, and he was unaware that it was actually a, a you know, a, 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 an R&B song. And it was only after I think we started to record it that Keith found out that it was an original R&B tune, a William Bell song. And I, I have to be honest, that was one of those that I kind of had to be led by and trust those guys because I didn't really know where we were going with it. And, and then uh, Keith programmed the drums on that. It's all Roland 88, 808. And then, um, you know, I tracked acoustic guitar. The, the, the acoustic guitar track on that was really hard because it's really, really it's, it doesn't sound it, but it's, the song is really fast. Right? Uh -huh. And I'm having to play eighths just this solid eighth note figure through the whole song. And my arm was killing me. <laughs> and I'm like, I just have to stay on this kind of like eighth note acoustic guitar thing. And um, uh -huh. um, it went, went, once it started to come together and once I heard Billy's vocal on it, I went, oh, okay, now I yeah. get it. But yeah. I really had to take direction on that one uh, because I just didn't hear it at first. I could see that. So I had a question for you. I had David Frank from The System on here a while ago. Oh, my God, yeah. I love The System. Yeah. And he, I believe, did some programming on that song. Is that what led to you playing on the Don't Disturb This Groove album? Pro proudly. Here's my great David Frank story. Oh, I love him. Please, bring it. <laughs> so before he was in the system, I knew him around town because there wasn't that many cool keyboard guys who were using sequencers and pushing the envelope. And I was really interested in, in this. So I made friends with him. So when we're in rehearsal for the first album, he's in the same music building, the one across from the Port Authority. Mm -hmm. So I said, I am, you know, once you come by rehearsal, come check, check, you know, Billy Idol out. So he comes down, he goes, ah, this is great. You know, da, da, da. he goes, come up and check, check my new band out, working with this girl. So I go up, they were on the eighth floor, maybe go up a little rehearsal place. And so there's David and some other musicians and then the girl singing and da, 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 da. I listened to a couple of songs and 
afterwards I go, David, why are you wasting your time? You know, she, 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 she's not that good, man. Uh-huh. He goes, I'm telling you, she's going to fucking be huge. It was Madonna. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think he told me this story or something similar to that. That is amazing, isn't it? Let's just show what I know. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a personal question. Um, you and Billy were about the hottest thing going there for a while. I would imagine you've hung out with Madonna or people like Madonna a lot. Did you, uh, did you ever go out with Madonna? Did you ever go out <laughs> with anyone we would know? <laughs> not really. Um, no, no. <laughs> Define going out. Is that what you're asking me? (laughs) (laughs) Not really. I mean, I, from the time that I was uh, uh, in a cover band years before Billy, I had met my girlfriend at the time. So we dated all throughout the Billy Idol stuff. And, uh, you know, we had some wild nights or whatever, but um, uh, nobody really that I can, that I can, uh, you know. Or want to tell me. I get yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's okay. I have to ask. Okay. A few years ago, obviously, way before I knew I was going to talk to you, I read Billy's book. I was skimming through some of it. I ran out of time to get all the details that I wanted. But can you summarize for us why you and Billy separated? And deeper than that, I want to know what is it about success that makes it so hard for couples, we'll say, whether it's you and Billy or Roland and Kurt from Tears for Fears or any other huge band Mm. to stay together? Is it because you're unified in your hunger toward making it? And when you make it and that hunger goes away, there's no reason to be a couple or a pair anymore. What is it about success that drives people away versus putting them back together? Well, there was a couple of, couple of reasons we stopped working together. He had made the decision to move to Los Angeles, mm. and I wanted to stay in New York, which I did. L.A. was always, for me, a party town. Mm. And from the time I'd land in the, it, you know, LAX to the time I'd leave, it was party time. And I thought, that's not a good idea for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. You know. And at the time, that was, uh, you know, we had become very successful and record companies came knocking on my door to sign me as a solo artist. And I, I signed with uh, Warner Brothers to do my uh, solo record. Great album. Tom and um, Playboys.
Yeah, so, and Ted Templeman, who produced Van Halen, was, was the guy who signed me. And they threw a lot of money, and, you know, and, and you start believing your own hype. Yeah. And also the communication, I think in hindsight, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but um, in hindsight, I could have made, made both work. But I, I you know, uh, drugs and alcohol really muck with communication. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I think they, they started, uh, that was breaking down between us. Although when I left, there was no bad feelings or anything. And it was always, uh, you know, I'm going to do my thing for a while. I wished him luck. He wished me luck. And, it's, and, and we never ever said anything bad about each other in the press. Good. Good. Uh, so when we, when we got back together again, we didn't have to make amends because there was no bad, you know. Yeah. Um, it was just a matter of, um, you know, after, after Whiplash Smile, I was definitely voiced my opinion that I was disappointed that there wasn't real musicians on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I wanted something maybe that was a little closer to Rebel Yell. I think that was one of the, the, the reasons that uh, that maybe I stepped away. And also, you know, there's a lot of people in the business that tell me, you know, I was young and very naive sure. still. And, uh, you know, all the people that are you know, telling you, ah, oh, you don't need that guy. And I'm sure there were people telling Billy, ah, you don't need that guy. All and, the you time. Know, yep. You know, and, um, and that yeah. kind of muddied the waters. Yeah. Um, I wondered about that. I have read somewhere, and I hadn't factored this in before, but did he have any issue with you winning that Grammy for Top Gun and that poisoned the well at all? Not that I know of. No, okay. Know. Yeah, because we were actually performing. The, the, I wouldn't have been involved in Tap Gun if it wasn't for Billy, because Harold Faltermeyer, who I worked with on Top Gun, was the keyboard player on Whiplash Smile. Right. Yeah. So it was all ex- an extension of, of Billy. Um, and I was performing on the Grammys that year that I won the Grammy. Uh, so in the afternoon, I went and we won, and then I performed with Billy. So. 
I, I didn't sense any animosity or anything in that, okay. in that respect. Yeah. yeah, I never thought of that. And I read something somewhere that sort of alluded to it. And I thought, mm. I, that's news to me. I didn't know that yeah. was an issue. Okay, I want to know, where do you keep your Grammy? So, here in my studio. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just curious. Good for you, man. That, yeah. Uh, I mean, makes... I, yeah, I think something like that. I mean, it's, it, it meant a lot to my parents because – it was a validation for all those years of putting up with my racket. <laughs> <You> <laughs> right. know? And, right. and to them, you know, it was, uh, it was a big deal. You know, it was like, like I remember I, I sent my first gold record to my mom and mom and dad and those kind of things, those tangible things they can see, yeah. uh, you know, uh, um, you know, or, or yeah. make it, make it proof, worth it's it. proof yeah. that our little Steve knows what he's doing. You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they ever thought I knew what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. Okay, so when you join up then with Vince Neil on the Exposed album, when you do that, are you thinking Vince is going to become kind of, I'm going to become for Vince what I was for Billy? That ended up just being like a one-off. But when you go, when the two of you come together and go into this project, is that sort of what you're thinking is going to, might happen? I, I, I don't know if I think that, but I, I, I had certainly worked with enough singers that I kind of understood what my job as a guitar player was when working with a singer. And, um, and I really love that. I love that, that cool relationship. And that's something that from the time I saw Elvis's 68 comeback special with Scotty Moore and, uh, you know, and Jimmy, Pay you know, that relationship of the guitar player who's kind of in the background, the mysterious guy, the, you know, the Jimmy Pages and the, the, uh, the, the um, Richie Blackmores. And mm -hmm. I always felt that that suited my personality. So I, I you know, I, I go, you know, when I go into a record, it's just, it's purely how can I move this thing forward? And how can I, how can I help uh, tell the story of a song? Yeah. You know, yeah. I very, I, I never like start to work on a song with somebody and look look at it as a vehicle for my guitar playing. Oh. It's, it's, hmm. you know, it's just not, that's not what, what my goal is. Okay. If there's a guitar solo on it, that's great. That's, you know, little icing on the cake, but yeah. really I just want to move the song forward. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Speaking of moving forward. So let's talk about devil's playground. What are your thoughts on that? Because again, I, I I'll just give you my opinion for, I, it was so good to have Billy back but I don't think that was the album people wanted. Yeah. That I mean, sense? yeah, there was, uh, there was some, some personal, um, I mean, if you read Billy's book, you know that yeah. there, there were issues with our drummer and there was issues with management at the time. It was a difficult record for me and Keith Forsey to be involved in. I don't think it's a sexy record. Mm -hmm. I think it's a hard rock record. Very much so. Um, but I think that the cool thing about Billy Idol is there was always, it was always a, a, a sense of romanticism mm -hmm. and, and um, something that, uh, you know, a large percentage of, of, of a Billy Idol audience is female. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, guys like the rock aspect and, the, and, the, and that part of it. But we have a pretty split audience, you know, sure. of ma male to female. And you could always dance to it. Even the heaviest Billy Idol song, you could right. dance to it. You know, right. but Devil's Playground is a straight up hard rock, heavy metal album. 
Yeah, and that I, element and I, of fun or whatever, it almost could have used more more uh, drum machines or something. It, you exactly, know? it was. Yeah. It was yeah, and it was. Um, you know, there was. Uh, I, I, my, re my personal relationship with Billy was was being sabotaged mm. by somebody who uh, eventually had to get the old boot. It was a difficult record to do, and but I'm glad we went through it because it. Mm -hmm. It made our relationship stronger, and I was damn well sure that the that the new musicians that came into the band were going to be really good, good. people to begin with, not just good musicians, but uh, the the group of guys that are in our band now are just the the best. They're good. like bro we're like brothers, and, and yeah, um, and we and it, it's 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 great. Uh, I've seen you guys a couple times, and the most recent was here in Denver at the um, Paramount Theater about two years ago. Okay. I, me and a bunch of my buddies went, and it was so hot. It was almost exactly two years ago to the day, like within a week or two, and it was 100 degrees in this place. Woo! So hot. But it was such a great show, and you just go bananas in concert. And it, it's like if there's any restraining Steve Stevens on an album, which there isn't much, in the live setting, Steve gets to do all of his fireworks. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was great. Yes, it was great. Um, okay, I wanted to ask you about Kings and Queens then, too, of the underground. What was it like being produced by Trevor Horn? Because he is my favorite producer ever, mm. but I never would have put him and you guys together. Do you think he was the right man for the job, and do you like that album? I do, I do like that record. Um, it was done pretty quickly. We, we went over to England to record it, which we had never done before. And uh, I think we, we were there only for about two weeks. So although we were writing uh, leading up to that, but the actual recording was very quick. And I always wanted to record in England. And then I found out that Trevor's studio uh, originally was Island Studios, which was where um, some of the Led Zeppelin stuff, all the classic Genesis, all the Bob Marley stuff was done. And it, we, we were the last artists to, be, uh, that's to, to record in there because mm -hmm. the, uh, it was uh, renovated for condominiums now but mm -hmm. and I was a huge yes fan and Trevor being part of that whole thing and sure. I loved working with him um, and it was a, it was you know it was um, Billy and I were just living in, a, in an apartment and uh, and uh, there was a good vibe about it a good friendship and I think it was the right record to do at the time yeah. you know it was it was very enjoyable I don't I don't know if there were hits on it you know, mm -hmm. per se, um, but it was certainly a lot of fun to do, and it was an easy, easy record to do. Yeah, I think that one, that one's closer to what as fans would have wanted from Billy than Devil's Playground was. Absolutely. I still don't know if it's quite meaty enough, mm -hmm. but I really like that album a lot, especially Postcards from the Past. If the world keeps turning Can you feel the passion? Can I make it happen once again? Now I'm running in times that are frightening But I won't let that break me I won't let that take me down again So you know my story I was crying out for more. Now I'm rolling 
fun you know it's a true it's a song that's new and unique but it touches on the motifs of all these old hits of yours absolutely which sure is the idea that's yeah. a really fun track you know yeah. where you go when you went into that project was the idea i don't know if it was because uh it was coming out in tandem with the book or billy you and billy to look back to be nostalgic about your career yeah um it was. Actu actually the one song that that uh that I wrote some of the lyrics for uh, was Ghosts of My Guitar. Tommy cashed it in down on Avenue A. Didn't have a reason, didn't have much more to say. Well, last time I saw him, he was looking green, you know. Some people never make it out of this scene like. Rudy took a hint around chapter nine. Adios, my friend, we had one hell of a time. And I think of you, there's a force in my head that says without fire, we're better off dead. And I thank you all. Ghosts in my guitar Terry told me that she I brought that to Billy and I said, you know, this is about when we were living in New York and um, uh, it's about some of the some of the people that we hung out with and the characters uh, that didn't that you know have no longer with us, but they're still with us in spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and we used to hang out on St. Mark's, and you know, and I just wanted to capture some of that. So yeah, there's definitely a reflective kind of mood about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that album a lot, and I'm glad it's out there because it's a nice palate cleanser after Devil's Play Devil's Playground. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, this is more in line with what we want. Um, okay, before I, ha I wanted to throw. I want to ask you about a couple of songs and stuff, the stories behind them, but I want to make sure we get, we take a minute to kind of talk about what you're up to. You're on Twitter now, which is, you're a fantastic follow on Twitter, by the way, oh, okay. uh, for anyone who doesn't know. And you tweeted out recently that you and Billy are back at it, working on music again. Yeah, I was surprised because we, we would kind of kept it quiet <laughs> and then I logged on and Billy had mentioned that he was listening to uh, some of the rough mixes that we had uh, that we had done with Butch Walker and I went oh I guess it's public knowledge <laughs> so I just uh, I, I, I just copied his tweet and uh, you know it's out there but yeah we um I mean fortunately uh, it's been the saving grace during this pandemic yeah, because totally. we finished in um, in, in Vegas in March and by then we we had heard what was happening and we stopped doing meet and greets We didn't want to cancel the shows, but we finished 
and um, and I think we were the la one of the last live acts and to, mm. to perform in Vegas. Mm. And then uh, we went into quarantine, each of us, and and uh, the, the we, there were already plans afoot to, to go in with Butch Walker to work on songs. And Butch is a one-man army. He's got a studio in, in Santa Monica, and he engineers and plays every instrument you could imagine. And he said, well, I've quarantined, and it'll just be the three of us. Yeah. We said, well, there's no reason not to, you know, go in and... Uh, we got some, uh, my, my wife managed to get some, some tests. So I w tested negative and, uh, and so we went in and, um, and uh, I, I'm really excited about this Good. stuff because I think, I mean, Butch is a rock and roll guy, but, but his productions are very modern and he's such a Billy Idol fan that he can draw out of us. He's a really good songwriting partner. Good. And uh, I think he's drawn out of us the real spirit of some of the older things that right. we've done. It's a guitar heavy stuff, very little keyboards on it. And he and I are like such guitar geeks that we just mm -hmm. kind of went, you know, we, we kind of um, really went wild with some of the guitar things yeah. on it. So, uh, and cool. I think, I think sonically it sounds fantastic. As perfect. Well. Perfect. And you joined cameo recently. This is the thing. This is kind of a kind of cool. People who, if you don't know, you can get somebody like Steve, some famous person, and for a fee, you can get Steve to like wish you a happy birthday or something like that, right? Yeah, I mean, I made it known that um, that if uh, I'm not giving guitar lessons on there, but right. if someone has a question about a guitar part or a so solo, cool. I'll show it to them. I've got, you know, I don't mind sharing that stuff. So. I've gotten about half of them are guitar players saying, hey, you know, the third, and they're very specific. The third bar of the second verse, of the, <laughs> um, I can't quite get it, you know. That's and what the fans do. Yep. Yeah, and it's great. You know, I'm just like, oh, okay, third bar, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, any, any time I can communicate with, with uh, players, and it's always fun. That's great. That's so cool. Um, are, now, you know, Billy wrote his book. What, what about yours? Do you think you'll do one? Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, you know, it's, I have to, you know, I had actually been approached by a publisher and um, they put me together with a writer. I didn't think he was the right person. Mm -hmm. I really need a, a, a writer that understands New York and mm -hmm. understands what it's like, because I'm really a product of the 70s New York. Yeah, I could see know? that. And, um, and although, although I made my career in the 80s and people go, oh, he's an 80s guitar player, but all of my influences were from going to, to concerts in the 70s and you know, playing in New York in the 70s. And I really need somebody who really gets that, that kind of, not only what New York was like, but also the, the, the way that the ethnicities of all the characters in New York yeah. play a role and uh, because it's, you know, my story, I was, I was the first time I was ever performed in front of a group of people. My grandfather, who uh, was a Russian immigrant, uh, put me up on a table to play uh, Hava Nagila or something. Really? <laughs> yeah, at a family meeting or something. And my grandfather was, I mean, he was so loving and mm -hmm. happy to be in this country and happy to have these grandkids and he was he was a spark plug man this guy had talk about somebody that loved life and lived it and you know he would go to the uh, to the gospel churches on sunday cuz he loved the music oh, wow. and 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 uh, you know he never looked at 
uh, races or or people. That's the one great thing. I was brought up in a family with an accepted every race, creed, nice. and color. You know, I'd go hang out in the projects and, and listen to Curtis Mayfield with my black friends. And my best friend was Puerto Rican. He'd take me to listen to Tito Puente records, and nice. and it was just all this kind of stuff. And my, my dad loved Arabic music and Middle Eastern music. And uh, that's really what, what New York was about it then. That's great. Yeah. Great. Speaking of which, you love flamenco guitar. You did a flamenco album. What is the appeal for you of playing or listening to or furthering the cause of flamenco guitar? Guitar teachers back then were like kind of fuddy-duddy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I, di I didn't really, I wasn't enamored with any of my guitar teachers. I just couldn't identify with them, you know? They were, you know, either failed musicians or just, you know, couldn't wait to leave the lesson. And so I went, my, my parents enrolled me in a summer music camp and I went and the guitarist was a guy named Nicholas Zaninovich. He was a flamenco guitar teacher. And I didn't know what flamenco was, but he, he's once on the very first class, we all assembled and he said, I'll play a little music for you. And he sat down and played flamenco. And I went, what is that? Nice. And then he told his life story. He was a Romanian gypsy who had escaped the Nazis and uh, brought his guitar with him. And he explained what flamenco was, how it was a passionate kind of nomadic music that people were talking about not having a homeland. And flamenco singers are very similar to the cantors in, mm. in, in, um, in, in, in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I just, this guy was so passionate about it that I said, I, I want to learn about this. Yeah. So it was the first guitar teacher that, uh, that I respected and, and really listened to. And I had him for two summers and then I kind of forgot about it. And obviously I played a bit of Spanish. I kept playing Spanish guitar because a lot of my guitar heroes like Steve Howe from Yes played Spanish guitar. And then after I did the Vince Neil tour and uh, out on the road with Eddie Van Halen, I kind of I sobered up, you know, I said, oh, man, I you know, it's, that was the height of the debauchery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I sobered up. I kind of got, uh, you know, my shit together. And uh, thought, well, what, you know, I can't play any heavier. 
I can't play any faster than what I've just done. And um, things like Nirvana and Pearl Jam were, were all the rage at that point. Mm -hmm. So I was like thinking, what am I going to do? And I went to see Paco de Lucia, the, the premier flamenco guitarist. And it was at the Wiltern Theater. It's like 3,000 people going nuts, absolutely nuts, dancing and singing and women like pretty much fainting. And like, I mean, and I went, wow, you can, you, you know, people, you can, and it was highly technical. And I said, I can shred on this instrument, but it doesn't come off as shredding. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's never, you don't feel like you need to hold up a scorecard or something. Mm -hmm. So I put away my electric guitar for a year and said, I was gonna, I'm gonna do this uh, flamenco style record. And I traveled the world just with my guitar. I went to France, I went to England, uh, Germany. I was in Japan, I worked on it. So I kind of traveled the world just with the guitar. And, um, and it, was, um, it was a cathartic, healing, uh, great headspace to do a record in. And, um, and I mixed the record in Hawaii and it was, uh, it was just enjoyable from beginning cool. to end. Very cool. Well, in the, we only have a couple minutes left. Last question. What is, people never like that question of what's your favorite song or whatever, but do you have a favorite moment? Is there a, is there a I don't know, a solo or a trick or a little flourish or the third bar of the fourth thing that you were talking about <laughs> earlier? Is there a moment in one of these songs that you're particularly proud of that you don't think people know about? You know, oh, maybe it's oh. a song we haven't already talked about where you're like, you know what, there's this, I did this thing in this one song and it's so cool. I've always loved it. I could tell you what one of mine is. I, okay. I, one of, one of uh, a song that I just think is so unique because of your guitar playing is Shooting Star, again, right. off of the first album. Here I come again. It is the end of the night And baby snuck out tonight Over to her strange side To make her feel all right But baby is feeling sick Well, now she tried so hard, so hard to be here She's shooting stars with a friends, she shooting stars till the end. I think it's kind of sick. She thinks she's really hit. Whoa, it can be so mean. If you want to play that thing, why don't you listen to me? It just it shows it shows the range of what Steve Stevens can do, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a song that I've always thought was very unique in your you know in your repertoire and your canon. But I didn't know yeah. if there was one that you felt strongly about. No, I think I think you know. I mean, we've we've since you know uh, during our Vegas residency, we we were able to. Uh, Bring, we started playing shooting stars and things like that. And they were really enjoyable, especially with our band now, you know, and yeah. we kind of gave it a kind of, you know, updated it a little bit with a little modern twist to it. 
but I still get a thrill over the fact that I can start the intro of Rebel Yell and everybody knows it and I can go all around the world and the minute I start that, yeah. to own and have come up with a guitar figure that is as identifiable as any vocal lyric or anything as a guitar player. I mean, that's like starting whole lot of love. The mean, yes. mean people here, but yes. you know, they go, yes. Oh, it's all. And, um, and I, those are the moments that I really strive for as a guitar player. Yeah. Um, and to have that in our, you know, even, you know, when we play a festival show, if there's been 10 bands before us, and the uh, the minute we start Rebel Yell, we 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 just became the headliner. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Perfect. Well, Steve, I could not love you more. Uh, it uh, oh, thanks, your music man. is one of my first memories that got me into liking rock and roll and liking music. And if we had the time, I'd talk to you for another hour because I just I've always thought you were special and amazing, and it means so much to me that you would talk to me. Oh man, that's really cool. Thank you. My pleasure. You bet. All right, there you have it, Steve Stevens. One of the greats, one of the greats ever, one of the great, the defining sounds, rock sounds of our generation comes from Steve Stevens' fingers on that guitar. That is it. And mixed with Billy's voice, incredible. He mentioned it himself. I mean, there are so many iconic uh, riffs. We kicked it off with White Wedding, we'll end it with Rebel Yell. I mean, these are the two most, Again, identifiable. I just keep saying that, right? You hear these riffs, you know exactly who that is. Not just because they're hits, but because you cannot get away from the way Steve Stevens plays the guitar. I love it. Anyway, thanks for making that happen, Steve. Uh, next week's guest, we're going back to a producer. We've been doing producer, artist, producer, artist. Next week's producer, we're going more in the rock genre. I mean, every feels like so many of the producers we've had on here lately have been like alternative, especially British alternative. Next week is more American rock and roll. So uh, that's what's coming up next week. You'll, I don't know if you'll know the name, but you'll know all the music, I promise. Uh, huge thanks, as always, to Yana Mamakevich, my right-hand man. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. You guys, you know you can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And as I mentioned here, Steve is a great follow on Twitter. So join, find him, too. Follow him, too. He's one of the best. Thanks, everybody. We love you.